Hello, welcome to the Men's Bible Study. My name is Matt Frey, and I have the privilege of being one of the pastors at PCPC. And from time to time, I have the privilege of teaching the Men's Bible Study. And so that's true today, as we continue our study of the parables of Jesus. Today, we're looking at the parable of the lost sheep. Uh, so I encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 18, uh, verses 10 through 14. Matthew 18, verses 10 through 14. Before we read it, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for the day you've given. Um, today, a day of, uh, of rest, of cold, of snow, of beautiful sights and scenes that are so rare for us here in Dallas. We pray that you would um, give us joy in seeing the uniqueness of your creation and your work. Um, I pray for uh, for warmth and safety for all of us and for neighbors. Um, we pray now as we look at your word that you would speak to us, that you would meet us here in this place through this revelation of your character and your ways and of your redeeming purposes in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to be leaning forward here from time to time to uh, advance the slides. Uh, for this. Today, again, we're looking at the parable of the lost sheep from Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to read the parable for us. It's brief. Um, follow along if you have a copy of God's Word with you. This is Matthew 18, verses 10 through 14. See that, no, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This parable of the lost sheep appears twice in the Gospels, here in Matthew 18, and then again um, in a little bit more expanded form in Luke chapter 15. We'll look once or twice at that passage in Luke. What's significant about what happens in Luke is that this parable is paired with two other parables that talk about people searching for and rejoicing in finding lost things. Uh, the parable of the lost coin, where the woman loses a coin in her house and searches uh, with great effort for it and then rejoices in finding it. And the most famous, the parable of the prodigal son, where the father rejoices in the return of his younger son and lavishes him with an incredible party celebrating uh, his return. These parables, uh, up together with the parable of the lost sheep, illustrate the primary uh, theme of God pursuing his lost people and rejoicing in finding them. And so we're going to see those themes come out today um, as we look at this parable. Um, the first and greatest point uh, and most significant emphasis of the parable is that, that God pursues us. God pursues us. He pursues us um, sovereignly. Uh, when we are wandering in sin, whether we have never trusted in Christ 
or whether we have come to faith in Jesus Christ, God's initiative, God's sovereign pursuit of those who are lost in unbelief or who are uh, wandering or backsliding in faith, God is the one who always pursues. There is a, a saying that uh, kind of has made a popular bumper sticker, um, maybe even some popular songs has, it's appeared in, the, the statement, not all who wander are lost. That actually comes from um, a poem from J.R.R. Tolkien um, from his trilogy, The Lord of the Rings. The first book of that, The Fellowship of the Ring, features this poem. I'll pull it up here. Under this theme of God pursues us, uh, Tolkien writes this line. He writes, all that is gold does not glitter. Not all who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not reached by the frost. The poem goes on to say, From the ashes a fire shall be woken. A light from the shadows shall spring. Renewed shall be the blade that was broken. The crownless again shall be king. In the story of the Lord of the Rings, this poem is introducing this theme of, uh, of uh, the people of Middle-earth being uh, weak, and oppressed and downtrodden for a season of wandering, but from among them will rise a king. From among them, strength will be renewed. From among them, renewal will occur. Um, and that's a very beautiful, very inspirational uh, idea, um, and particularly that line that not all who wander are lost. But when we think about our wandering as people, again, whether it's an unbeliever or whether it's us um, walking the pilgrim journey of faith and in different seasons wandering or backsliding, doubting God's promises, straying into sin, in need of repentance. Wherever we find ourselves, um, it is possible that some who wander may be lost. Not those who have believed, but many people who have never trusted in Christ in their wandering may be lost. Um, and for those who, of us who have trusted in Christ, um, in our wandering, in our seasons of um, sinful wandering from God's purposes and commandments, in our wandering, it is always God who initiates the return. It's always God who goes out and pursues. It is always by his grace and his initiative that lost sheep are found. And so that Tolkien quote, not all who wander are lost, is somewhat true. But the point that Jesus is illustrating here is that it is divine initiative that's needed to find lost sheep. Um, this parable, in a way probably shouldn't be called the parable of the lost sheep. The sheep's not the main character. The shepherd's the main character. We know nothing of why the sheep wandered, um, why he went astray. Was he uh, taken astray by an enemy? Um, that's a theme that comes out in the scriptures, um, that there are enemies who come to, to kill and destroy God's sheep. Was this sheep foolish, wandering away from the fold, and away from the shepherd because of its own sinful foolishness. We're not told a great deal about the sheep. The focus of the parable isn't the lost sheep. The focus of the parable 
is the pursuing shepherd. The shepherd who remarkably leaves the 99 on the mountains, it says in verse 12. He leaves the 99 to go in search of the one who was astray. Um, the dominant character, the dominant theme of this parable is how the shepherd pursues this one sheep. And of course, Jesus is telling this to illustrate how God pursues his lost people. He pursues the lost sheep of Israel. He pursues the lost sheep that he has called into himself. It's by God's divine initiative that we are welcomed into his presence, that we are forgiven of sin, that we are given nourishment and life. God is the one who pursues. Now, how does God pursue um, this parable? Again, it's brief. It's simple. It simply says that, that the shepherd goes out in search of the one lost sheep. Uh, but we know from redemptive history how it happens that God pursues. God pursues with both incredible strength and might and vengeance, but he also pursues an incredible tenderness and compassion. Think of those two things coming together in this shepherd going out and pursuing us, how God has pursued us both with vengeance and strength and might, but also with the tenderness of a parent. Um, in terms of strength and might and, and vengeance, think of uh, uh, here Jeremiah chapter 50. Jeremiah chapter 50, I'll just read it from the screen here, uh, gives a picture of God's people being like lost sheep. And it says um, here in Jeremiah 50, verses 6 and 7, says, my people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray, turning them away on the mountains. From mountain to hill they have gone, they have forgotten their fold. So Jesus is talking about his people Israel being like sheep, and that the, the kings and prophets and priests that have been appointed over Israel have been unfaithful. The shepherds that Jesus appointed, that God appointed to watch over Israel, have been unfaithful and have caused Israel to go astray. Um, and because of that, they have become susceptible to enemies. They've been susceptible not only to their own sin, but to attacks from outside, from enemies. And that's the story of Israel's apostasy and then political loss as nations like um, Assyria come in and capture um, the Israelites and take them into exile. It forms so much of the plot of the Old Testament. But listen to what God says to his people. In verse 7 he says, All who found them have devoured them, and their enemies have said, We are not guilty, for they have sinned against the Lord. Their habitation of righteousness, the Lord, the hope of their fathers. But God does not leave his people in that state of being vulnerable and attacked as sheep. He says, uh, like a lion coming up from the thicket. This is verse 44 of Jeremiah 50. Behold, like a lion coming up from the thicket of the Jordan against a perennial pasture, I will suddenly make them run away from her. Them being these enemy nations that have come to attack Israel. I will suddenly make them run away from her, and I will point over her whomever I choose. For who is like me? Who will summon me? What shepherd can stand before me? 
Therefore hear the plan that the Lord has made against Babylon and the purposes um, the purposes that he has formed against the land of the Chaldeans. Surely the little ones of their flock shall be dragged away. Surely their fold shall be appalled at their fate. And at the sound of the capture of Babylon, the earth shall tremble and her cry shall be heard among the nations. God here is saying that though his people have gone astray and become attacked victims of stronger enemy nations, the day was coming when he, the mighty, strong, perfectly good shepherd, would come clearing away the enemies of Israel, clearing away the enemies of his church, rescuing in grace, rescuing his people who had wandered. Um, Israel did not deserve to be saved, but because of God's covenant promise, he would not abandon them to their enemies. They wandered, they went astray, but God would not abandon them. He pursued them. And of course, we know from the redemptive plot line of the Bible, God came and pursued his people, clearing away enemies in Jesus. In Jesus, the good shepherd, called out from among the tribes of Israel, called out as the fulfillment of David's throne, called out to come and to suffer and to die and to come to redeem and pursue the lost sheep of Israel. That's even a phrase Jesus uses in the introduction to his ministry. It's something he commands his disciples to do, to go and pursue the lost sheep of Israel. And so you and I, though we wander in sin, um, God is the one who sovereignly, graciously pursues. And he does it with this kind of military strength. He also does it with the compassion of a heavenly parent, a heavenly father. Some of you dads may have read the book to your kids, The Runaway Bunny. Um, there's a great movie from 2001 starring Emma Thompson um, called Wit. Um, it's based on a play that won the Pulitzer Prize in 1999. Uh, Emma Thompson stars in this play as um, a British uh, literary professor who is dying of ovarian cancer. She has surrounded herself vocationally and personally with great literature. Um, she has put a lot of stock in her um, vocation and her academic accomplishments. But here she is, weak and lonely and dying, um, without the praise of man, without the comforts of great literature. And in the climax of the movie, Emma Thompson is visited by one of her former professors. And this professor, this grandmotherly professor comes in and she knows the sonnets of John Donne and she knows the works of William Shakespeare and she knows all the great literature of the world. But this grandmotherly professor comes in and sits uh, by this dying woman's bedside and reads her the story, The Runaway Bunny. The story of this mother bunny pursuing this younger baby bunny. Uh, and I won't take time to read the book to you now, but the, the basic plot of the story is even every way that this little bunny runs away, the mother pledges and promises to pursue. 
to pursue to the to the end of the field and the forest to pursue in all kinds of ways and it's a simple childlike picture of the tender compassionate loving way god pursues us in jesus he pursues in strength clearing away our enemies and atoning for our sins on the cross in jesus rising victorious over the grave god pursues tenderly wooing calling us into repentance because of his great love and so this parable um, we've expanded on it by looking at other places in scripture that that um, amplify this theme of god's pursuit but the the main point of the parable is that god is the one who pursues his people but there's two other really important points in this parable the second one is that god saves us god saves us there's not only a picture of pursuit happening in this parable but also a picture of salvation um, god not only pursues but in his pursuing he accomplishes his saving work he actually redeems us he redeems us from sin and from death he completes his pursuit of the sinner by enacting redemption by completing the work of salvation let me put it in context here verse 14 we know that this parable is giving a picture of salvation in a way because verse 14 it talks about the risk of this sheep perishing dying of course perishing is this phrase this word that's used to describe um, uh, condemnation eternal death separation from god so verse 14 of our passage says so it is not the will of my father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish and of course we all um, think of god's saving work and even think of that language of perishing uh, remembering john 3 16 uh, for god so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life uh, it's the same concept that's being illustrated here in this parable that god rescues his sheep by pursuing but also by saving from death saving from physical death saving from eternal spiritual death and he does it through the good shepherd of jesus and so god is not merely a pursuing sheep he is a he's not merely a pursuing shepherd of sheep he is also a saving shepherd he does what no human shepherd could do he actually takes dead sheep and brings them to life not merely wandering sheep bringing them back into the fold but he takes dead sheep and gives them life and he gives them life abundant here from ezekiel 34 again this is an old testament passage that compares and contrasts the unfaithful shepherds of israel with the faithful shepherd that god would send in jesus ezekiel 34 is a whole chapter dedicated to this beautiful um, promising of God sending his son Jesus as the good shepherd listen to this these two verses from the beginning of Ezekiel 34 he says God says the weak you have not strengthened the sick you have not healed the injured you have not bound up the strayed you have not brought back the lost you have not sought for thus says the Lord God behold I I myself will search out for my sheep and will seek them out it's this beautiful promise 
unfaithful shepherd leaders in Israel being replaced um, by the ultimate faithful shepherd of God himself coming to Israel, coming to the church in Jesus Christ. And uh, the end of Ezekiel 34, there's this beautiful picture of the richness of blessing that is given for these sheep that have been pursued and saved by Jesus the Good Shepherd. Ezekiel 34 ends uh, with these lines, beginning in verse 29. It says, I will provide for them renowned plantations, so that they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land, and no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord. It's a beautiful picture of the completing work of God's pursuit, the completing work of God saving his sheep into this kind of blessing, this blessing of being his sheep in his place, living with all of the richness and the blessing of his land and being ultimately with him. The great wonder of this parable is not merely that that God loves and pursues in his grace, but that God in Jesus Christ, the good shepherd laying down his life for the sheep, welcomes sheep home into abundance, into blessing, into life with him, the shepherd. That's the greatest thing we could ever experience in our lives, is life with God. Our relationship with God, our, our profession of faith, our participation in organized religion through, through church is not about receiving earthly, temporal blessings. It's not merely um, enjoying this sense that, God's lo- that God loves us. Um, the blessing of Christianity, the blessing of our faith is this, being with God, our Good Shepherd being with him in his place. Now that happens when he calls us home. That happens when Christ returns and remakes the heaven and the earth. But this is the picture of true blessing and wonder for us as weak and wandering sheep, being with the shepherd. And that will bring great joy, great joy to us, Also, amazingly, great joy to the shepherd. And that's the last thing I want to point out from this parable. Not only does God pursue us and save us, but in that process, even though we we have not deserved his pursuit because of our sin and unbelief, even though we have not deserved his salvation, God rejoices over us. He rejoices over his work of saving us weak and wandering sheep. Um, the very end, uh, so towards the end of this parable, verse 13, um, the, Jesus says about this, in this parable of the shepherd and the sheep, and if he, if the shepherd finds it, the sheep, if he finds it, 
Truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. It's a picture there of uh, God's rejoicing over uh, finding his sheep, his people. The shepherd rejoices over finding the one. God rejoices over finding us. Now, you can think of the joy that it brings to find something that you have lost. Um, for us as men, um, maybe not all of us have played a round of golf before, um, but if you have, if you've ever played golf, you've probably had the experience of losing a golf ball. And in losing a golf ball, um, that produces maybe some embarrassment if you hit it straight into the woods or into a pond. It also produces the frustration of having to go find it. Um, inevitably, whenever I hit a golf ball into the pond or into the woods um, or, in, or into some creek, um, inevitably the other person I'm playing with hits it right down the middle, straight into the fairway. They're sitting pretty and I'm off uh, wet and uh, sticky looking for the golf ball. Um, but you know the experience of finding a golf ball that you have lost. Um, the experience of finding it in the grass or seeing it in shallow water and being able to retrieve it, that experience of finding the lost golf ball brings a rush. It does for me anyway. And it's not about the the, the, val the monetary value of the ball. Um, it's not about just finding any ball. It's about finding your ball. Your ball that you had hit, that belongs to you, that you had lost. There's joy in finding that specific one. Um, by the way, if you ever go golfing with Pete Dyson, you'll never lose a ball because um, he has the, the pole extender and always loves retrieving balls out of the pond. Um, and he'll be diligent in helping you find it too. I've played with Pete a couple times. Um, he's great at finding golf balls. Um, but the joy in finding that specific ball that you lost, uh, I'm sure if you've ever had that experience, you know it brings great joy. So much more so, God rejoices in finding, in rescuing, in saving the people who he knows, the people who he loves, the people that are his own in their redemption, in their repentance, because repentance of the sheep is a part of this process we're going to see in just a second. In seeing that sheep come home, God rejoices. Zephaniah 3.17 is a favorite verse in our house. And it says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. That verse brings together so many of the themes we've seen in this lesson. He is mighty to save. He is mighty in his pursuit of sinful and wandering sheep by defeating sin and death through his victory on the cross. He quiets us with his love. He is a tender father pursuing and wooing and drawing his people home. And he rejoices. He rejoices over us in finding and in saving and in seeing us repent and believe in his promises. He rejoices. God rejoices over us. Hopefully we rejoice when we are found. Hopefully we rejoice when, when 
the stony hearts turn to fleshly hearts, when the, the scales fall off of our eyes, when we come to see the work of Jesus Christ saving us from sin and death, hopefully we rejoice. But what a wonder that God rejoices too. Luke chapter 15 is the other time where Jesus tells this parable. And he expands on this theme of rejoicing um, in these verses towards uh, the end of the telling of the parable. Luke chapter 15, verses 6 and 7, Jesus says, And when he comes home, that's talking about the sheep coming home uh, with the shepherd. When he comes home, he, the shepherd, calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. It's a beautiful picture of the joy of the shepherd in welcoming the sheep home. So much joy that he invites neighbors and friends to participate in it. So much joy that the kingdom of heaven, the people of heaven, these saints and angels at God's throne rejoice whenever anyone comes to faith, whenever anyone comes to believe, whenever any believer comes to repent. There is joy in God's heart. There is joy in God's place in heaven. There should be joy for all of us as believers in seeing anyone come to faith, in seeing anyone who has come to faith repent and be restored. This parable illustrates that, uh, both of those principles. Now, I want to make one last point before I close. Um, our rejoicing over repentance, our rejoicing in seeing lost sheep saved, of seeing wandering sheep repent, our joy in seeing that happen will be proportional to our own realization that we are weak and wandering sheep in need of repentance, in need of rescue. We will only rejoice and be glad and celebrate and, and participate in Jesus' work of going after lost sheep. We will only have passion and vigor and excitement and joy for that if we realize we are lost sheep. We have been completely lost and God has saved us by giving us the gift of faith in Jesus, justifying us. And now as Christians, there are times when we are wandering, when we are wandering sheep, wandering away from the fold, whether that's through the, through the work of the enemy, taking us away from the fold for a season, whether that's by temptation and sin in our own hearts and lives, all of us wander as sheep. All of us are weak. All of us are continuing, continually needing the pursuing, gracious, restoring love of the shepherd. All of us are in continual need of repentance, not as if we have lost our salvation and need to regain it, but the life of the Christian is marked by a continual battle with sin 
and therefore a continual need for repentance. And so hopefully through looking at this parable, we've seen not only something about the character of our God, but we also need to see our own need as lost sheep, as wandering sheep, our own need to live a life of repentance. And as we humble ourselves, as we fight against sin, as we realize the ways that God is pursuing us and graciously restoring us again and again and again, sanctifying us from sin, deepening and broadening our repentance, the more we pursue that kind of humble, repentant posture as believers, the more joy we will have. The more joy we will have in seeing our Good Shepherd restore us, in seeing our Good Shepherd restoring and saving other lost sheep. And so I want to leave you with that encouragement to, to not only recognize the ways in which God is at work saving and redeeming and rescuing other lost sheep, but the way he has pursued and saved you and me, and the joy he has in his redeeming work in our lives. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this parable. Thank you for this incredible story that illustrates so beautifully your pursuit of us as sinful, wandering people. We thank you that you are a God who does not look upon our wandering and cast us away, even from the beginning of creation, even from the first sin of Adam and Eve, when sin occurred, you drew near. You drew near to cover us and to restore us and to redeem us and to give us the gift of repentance and faith. And so I pray that we would um, live more deeply in the reality that in and of ourselves we are wandering and that we are recipients by the work of your Holy Spirit of the gift of repentance. Increase our joy in seeing and remembering and experiencing your rescue of us as lost sheep. I pray that you would increase the joy in our hearts today, that day by day as we see your work in our lives and in others' lives, that we would uh, abound in joy, rejoicing in the abundant life that you have given to us in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much for hanging with me. Um, glad that we were able to continue on with uh, the series today. Um, and I hope that you have a great conversation, great discussion in your small groups. Bye-bye.